Hello, 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 and welcome to this week, the third episode of the Rathpeakin Rambler podcast with your host, the Rathpeakin Rambler, a.k.a. me, serving up fresh ramble pies every week. I'd like to start off, as usual, by thanking everyone for listening last week, listening the last two weeks, sharing, liking, subscribing, downloading and everything. Uh, this is just something, another creative outlet for me. Uh, started from the bottom, still very much at the bottom, right at the bottom. But one day, Drake, one day, me and you will return to Degrassi as kings. Um, but yeah, so thanks again for last week. Also surpassed 200 streams. Now, some of those were people listening going, first few seconds and being like Jesus Christ what drivel is this young man spewing but I'd like to thank those that listened on for longer than a few seconds uh, thanks for listening on Spotify and Podbean and hopefully I have finally submitted the podcast the Apple podcast so it should be on there this week uh, also I am actually going to do a shout out and hopefully someone will answer my prayers and do a little intro jingle for me I'll pay bottom dollar which is worse bottom or top I won't pay top dollar I can't afford to pay top dollar I'll pay you a princely sum for a fantastic jingle and when I finally make it big I'll you'll be a footnote in my book serving up fresh ramble pies with the Rapik and Rambler a cookbook with Donald Skihan. That's the trajectory I'd like my career to take someday. Um, yeah, so what's been going on in my world this week or the world of movies that I've been watching. Um, so we're going to talk about two movies today. Uh, we're going to talk about Operation Odessa, and which is a documentary in 2018 about um, crazy drug world goings on in 1980s, 1990s, New York and Miami and Russia and Colombia. It's mad. It is absolutely mad. It is brilliant. And then we're going to talk about The King, 2019, with Timothy, Timothy Chalamet, or Tim Timothy Chalamet, as he's known back home. Uh, Robert Pattinson's in there. Very good movie. That's a, it's a typical Key and Dalton movie, but we'll talk about that later. So those are what we're going to be talking about today. And possibly, if I have time at the end, a bit of Normal People, episodes three and four, which were on RTE last Tuesday evening. And the last thing I want to say before we start talking about the movies is that I premiered, if I can be so bold and pretentious as to say uh, I premiered the new logo this week I've been trying to make this whole operation you know although it is a hobby and it's fun to do it's nice to give it an actual image and an actual theme rather than just my Facebook profile picture so I did debuted <laughs> I debuted the new logo this week which is the Rathpeak and Rambler and you'll see it on this podcast and whatever you've just clicked on but it has the microphone on the left-hand side, and it has, it's it's not a crow, but it is a crow. Like, I think that's a sparrow. I'm not sure, but, you know, it's a crow. See it as a crow in the middle. 
and a quill on the right and obviously that is like just symbolizing so the microphone is obviously the podcast talking you know reviewing all that listening and the quill is for the writing what this originally started out as and the bird in the middle is because Rathpeakin where I'm from in lovely Cork Dreville County Rathpeakin is in Irish means well the uh, literally the Irish translation of Rathpeakin in English means the fort of crows now does that mean that back in the middle ages or the 1800s when the name was first like translated was there just a lot of crows in the village did the english ride in and see just like loads and loads of crows just staring them down or was there a, an ancient sentient race of crows that were the rightful rulers of the village of Rathpeakin? who am i to i couldn't tell you that i could like i'm not the authoritative figure on that those are your only two options I'm leaning towards the sentient crows. I so want that to be true. So that's what Rathpika means, the fort of crows. And I'd like to just take a minute to say thanks to our ancient crow rulers. Always been a fan. Always will be a fan. Okay, <laughs> so let's start off with Operation Odessa. And by the way, both of these movies are on Netflix as usual. I do have other streaming services that I'm paying for and I don't watch, so I'll probably be getting rid of them, but let's stick with Netflix for the time being. So Operation Odessa is actually something you're better off going into like not knowing anything about. Or you can listen just as I tell you not the whole story, but you know, I'll give you a little brief overview of the characters and the kind of general storyline and just some of the kind of matter bits that were in it um it was it was mad i mean like it's one of the like netflix does great documentaries sometimes they oversell them with their advertising and you think that this is going to be unreal like the pharmacist was fantastic but the last episode when you got out of the human storyline involving the pharmacist's son and this the the small town America storyline and it became like a much bigger thing in America that's when it lost me and I would say it would have lost a lot of people kind of interest wise there um you know Aaron Hernandez um that's that was very good throughout the trials of Gabriel Fernandez was also very good so Netflix does a great documentary and it really gets you it hits you emotionally now, in this one, there's no one to get emotionally on side with because you're dealing with gangsters, drug pushers, serial killers. So you're not really meant to be on side with any of these guys. But it, it does, you do think, fuck, these guys are cool. Some of them, some of them you're like, this, this guy's a piece of shit. So I'll run you through the kind of main cast, even though it's real life. So the first person we meet, we hear about, and that we meet is... Uh, Tarzan, um, excuse me, is uh, Ludwig Feinberg. He's a Russian who moved to New York in, I think it's 1980, they say, uh, living in like Greenpoint in Brooklyn, or in Brooklyn somewhere, I'm not sure if it's Greenpoint, and he immediately gets into the gangster lifestyle. Uh, he becomes like an enforcer for the Italian mob, and he's forced to move away in um, the mid to late 80s because he... I think he hit the wrong, you know, you'll see that, but he's forced to move away and he cho he chooses um, 
Miami. He chooses Florida. And he goes there straight away and he just he becomes this larger than life character, you know, obviously dangerous. But when you see him first in the interview, he's sitting there, he's got a big red face on him, smoking cigarettes, and he's laughing at all of these stories. You know, he's telling stories of, you know, opening his club in Florida and calling it Porky's after the uh, famous 80s movie, a series of movies. I think I saw the first one there, just carnage. But um, so he moves there and he opens up his strip club and it becomes a haven for kind of the underbelly of society uh, like but the highest levels of the underbelly of society and he attracts the Russian mafia he attracts Colombian mafia and um, but Tarzan is just this larger than life character it look, kind of looks like a bear he's absolutely mad in the head he'd be a fellow now if you're out in a, in a city um, like New York London San Francisco and you're on your own and there's a guy drinking near you and he starts chatting to you and you go to your friends the next day and they're like, how did you get on? And you're like, this guy would not stop talking and just had the craziest stories. I'm pretty sure they're a bullshit. That, that's Tarzan. Except all his stories are probably true. It's, it's absolutely mad. So he moves to Florida and he gets involved with this guy called Juan Almeida. Who, um, s watch, <laughs> I think we were about an hour into this and Katie turned to me and said... <laughs> Juan Almeida as a tiny dick. <laughs> and I just said, how do you know that? <laughs> but she was like, no, like he has a complex. Like, So this guy is like a wheeler and dealer. He's, he can source anything you want. He can source cars, helicopters, um, tanks, weapons for the drug cartels and for Tarzan. He can source drugs. He makes or he made like speedboats. Um, he was very good with the engines and stuff. He made speedboat speedboats and specifically catered them to some cartels, so he could run drugs off like the coasts of Miami, Florida, wherever they are. Um, but he he will tell like in his interviews. So Tarzan's interviews, he's just like laughing. He's going, "Yeah, it was crazy, man. Like you know, I did this, and we were going here, and we were we were holidaying in Paris, and then Juan Almeida." comes in and he's like, yes, we, we holidayed in Paris and I had sex with 40 women over three nights and I, I had all the finest cars in the world. And you're like, man, we know you have money. You don't need to be telling us like we believe it. You're just coming across as even more of a dick than you would normally by telling us this. But it's he has a Napoleon complex without being Napoleon because he's not short. He, he, he looked like a handsome guy back in the 80s. Um... Does not take a good picture, though. Any picture that they showed of Juan Almeida, one of his eyes were closed, and it was actually hilarious. Um, what he kind of gives off, and you'll know when you see him, straight out of Compton, Paul Giamatti's character, Jerry, the, the manager who fucked over um, the, uh, the NWA, Dr. Dre, and all them, um, he gives off serious Paul Giamatti vibes. Bad vibes, man. Bad vibes. The final character, the final chess piece that we meet is Nelson Tony Yester. And his intro is so, so good. Like, this makes the whole documentary worthwhile. Is Everyone's talking. Whoever's been interviewed so far, like DEA agents, um, you know, detectives, Juan Almeida... 
Tarzan, they've been asked, oh, do you think we could get to Tony Yester and ask him to comment? And they're all, everyone was like, no, not a hope, man. I would be very surprised if you got an interview with Tony Yester, this crazed serial, not serial killer, but hired killer, contract killer, you know, dangerous, dangerous man. And it kind of fades to black. And in the back of your mind, it's you're getting hyped up. You're like, they fucking got him. You've never even, like, so there's a possibility, if you're me, you've never heard of Tony Yester before. But for a second, he is the greatest person in the world because like, they got fucking Tony Yesta. Oh my fucking God, they got fucking Tony Yesta. I'm telling you, I knew it, I knew it, I told you. It's like, you never, you've never heard of him. You never said, you've never mentioned his name. I fucking told you they got Tony Yesta. Comes up somewhere in Africa. Tony Yesta has been on the run since 1990 and this group of filmmakers, documentary makers, somehow get him to talk. And it gets even better because then they're like, so Tony, how close were you to Pablo Escobar? And it's, he's thinking about the question, and he just explodes. He's like, you're too fucking curious, man. You shouldn't be asking these fucking questions, man. I was like, holy shit. Tony Esser is the coolest guy I have ever seen. <laughs> starts off scary, but then he starts opening up. He just starts telling you all these stories about him and Tarzan and Juan Almeida, and they're just going all over the world. They're buying helicopters from... Moscow, right after the fall of the Soviet Union, for peanuts, like, for, oh, it's mad. Um, but the three of them come together because, so Tarzan owned, when he moved to Florida, he opened Parkies, the strip club, and then he opened Babushka, the restaurant. And they were both... They were both fronts for crime, you know. They were doing legitimate business. But, you know, as any place like that does, like, I mean, there's probably a good few laundrettes in Queens and in the Bronx that are fronts for organized crime. But, you know, maybe that's just in power. I don't think so. But the DA and the police, the local police department um, and the FBI all thought like okay this could turn into a very dangerous situation because Tarzan, Juan Almeida and Tony Esther very dangerous together Tony Esther had ties to the Colombian cartels, Juan Almeida had ties to so many criminals Tarzan had ties to the Russian mafia It's it was almost like the first real super, super villain group and they wanted to put a stop to that and the story is gearing towards the three guys, Tarzan, Juan, and Tony Esther, flying to Russia again to buy an old Soviet tank with active nuclear missiles and weapons. Uh, I won't say anything more than that because there's a lot more in the story going on and there's a lot more like that is just mad and crazy. I mean, you know, they even talked to a guy who infiltrated Tarzan's group and while they were interviewing him, he was actually undercover on a different project, so they had to put prosthetics and makeup on him to cover up his identity. I think he was like investigating other organized crime in Florida at the time, or New York or somewhere. But it was mad that they got all of these people to talk about it. And, you know, they give their bit at the end, like, you know, that Tarzan's living here, and Juan Almeida's living 
here and there. But it is really interesting. It's not, if I remember correctly, it's like an hour and 40, an hour and 50, you know, the standard time. And it's really, really interesting. It's mad. You'll actually, once you see, just let me know what you think of Tony Yester. Because that guy was probably the coolest motherfucker I've ever seen. I really want to start watching Narcos now. I think everyone will agree once they watch. But that is... That was Operational Odessa. I would definitely give that a probably an 8 out of 10. 8 or 9 out of 10. Because it was that interesting. And it, a lot of Netflix documentaries, they do a lot of series. They do a lot of, you know, limited series or whatever. And that's great. That's that's good. But, they're you know, they, they become tired. And by, I think, especially with the pharmacist, by the third or fourth episode, you're kind of like... I don't know if I'm that interested anymore. I mean, I'm glad you caught the guy who killed your son. But I don't really care about America as a whole. And it is a whole. Am I right, ladies and gentlemen? No, America's fine. Land of the brave, land of the free. I love it. I love America. love America. But that was Operation Odessa. Fantastic. Go watch it. It's on Netflix. Eight or nine out of ten. Okay, so the next thing, the next movie up on the list is The King. Starring Timothy Chalamet and Robert Pattinson. Uh, great cast in this movie, by the way. So this is based kind of on William Shakespeare's uh, different Henry uh, plays. So he had like five or six of them or something like that. But this one is specifically based on King Henry the Fourth, parts one and two, and Henry the Fifth. And... It was written by, so Joel Edgerton co-wrote it along with the director, um, but it is, I thought it was very good. As I said earlier, it's like a, it's a pure Key and Dalton movie, as in like it, it has medieval fight, it's fighting scenes. It's Game of Thrones-esque in some of the, some of the battles. I'll talk a bit about that in a while. And also the cast is extremely good. I apologize for my burping. I am having cans because time has no meaning in Corona land. So Timothy Chalamet or Timothy Chalamet or Timothy Chalamet, whichever one you want. I go with Chalamet because it sounds the funniest. He is Hal, the future King Henry V, who has rebelled against the his own crown. Um, ben Mendelssohn plays his dad. Um, the tyrant King Henry who was paranoid and is turning against friend and family and foe alike and so Ben Mendelsohn plays King Henry who dies and Timothy Chalamet Hal King Henry now King Henry V takes over Joel Edgerton, Edgerton plays Falstaff who was actually a fictional character created by William Shakespeare he's, I think he's the only fictional character the only main fictional character in this, in this, uh, in those plays, who is like a, a former soldier, he was based on someone who was very close to the royal line. But I think he wanted to protect himself. William Shakespeare had to protect himself as well because if they felt like they were being, you know, lampooned in any way, sure Shakespeare would have had no head. So Joel Edgerton plays the kind of drunken former soldier Falstaff. Um, Sean Harris plays William Gascoigne, an advisor and friend of 
that royal line. Now, very suspicious of him from kind of the off because he was, you know, how can you be so loyal to one king and then be as loyal to the next king if they have totally different views? But that, you know, that develops as you go on. And Robert Pattinson plays the Dauphin. The Dauphin is the title um, given to the heir of the French throne from the years like 13, the early 1300s to like the late 1700s, early 1800s. Um, thank God for Wikipedia. But it is a fantastic cast. Like these, these are very talented actors. No, there's not, it's a very male dominated cast. So if you're looking for diversity or, you know, representation in this movie, you're not going to find it. It is, it's all white, it's all male. Now, it, you know, that is the story. I mean, they could have written a female part, a very, like the, at the very end, King uh, Henry's new wife is the daughter of the defeated French king. And she was very good, like very strong, but she was the only strong female character up until that point. So like, you know, there's not, it's not very diverse. It's still an enjoyable movie, but if that's something that's very important to you when you're watching a movie late on a Wednesday night and you're chock full of cans, don't watch this. But yeah, you have Timothy Chalamet, you know, a rising star, Robert Pattinson, unbelievable in the limited screen time he gets in this. Joel Edgerton, Edgerton is very good in this. Uh, ben Mendelsohn just plays that tyrannical, leery, evil role so well, you know, in all that he plays it in. Um, like, you know, even in, Ca I know he was good in Captain Marvel in the end, but for large parts of the movie, you're not, you're thinking he's evil. Same in um, Star Wars, um, Rogue, what's the name of that one? It's not Rogue Wars, it's not Star Wars Rogue Wars, because that would be stupid, but it's something, um, but yeah, so like Ben Mendelsohn's very good, and Sean Harris is very good. I can't remember what else Sean Harris has been in, but he's very good in his role as William Gascoigne, friend or foe. Um, Rogue One, that is it. Oh my God. And I had IMDb open about it, and then I remember it. Anyways, that is not important. So, as I said, this is a typical Key and Dalton movie, like very, very good medieval action scenes. Uh, so it starts off, and Hal... Timothy Chalamet, Hal, King Henry, the new King Henry, comes back and he's forced to take the throne because his father dies with sickness and his brother died in a battle he tried to prevent. Um, kind of happens from there. As soon as he becomes the king, his advisors are telling him that France are trying to kill him. There's assassins found and there's plots uncovered within his own within his own um, ranks to kill him and get him get him assassinated and dethrone him. So after being so long opposed to becoming the king and taking the throne within months in this story of taking the throne, he is off to fight with France straight away. So that immediately with me, I've, you know, I read some of the Henry plays by Shakespeare, but it was a long time ago, so I can't remember exactly, you know, but if immediately that raised suspicion with me, like this could be a plot to get him to fight with France. Um, 
So he goes to France, and there he meets Robert Pattinson. And as soon as Robert Pattinson comes in, he is extremely good. He kind of lightens the tension at the start, and then it turns out he's a maniac, really, like killing kids, and oh, it's mad. But he's very good when he comes in. You kind of, I kind of forget how good of an actor Robert Pattinson is. He like the Twilight movies. I've seen m- most of them. Enjoyed the last one actually, um, but. You know, he's been in some good stuff. Uh, good Time is the most recent one that I remember him in. He's very good in that. Um, So, yeah, you're starting getting suspicious. You're like, his visors and then his advisors are setting him up. That's what I thought, anyways. But then as soon as you meet the Dauphin, you're like, no, no, the French definitely set him up. The French, the Dauphin, Robert Pattinson, is crazy. He wants England for himself. Uh, It all ends with the Battle of... Agincourt, which was one of the famous battles of the Hundred Years' War, where the English, who were outnumbered and outpositioned, they actually outmaneuvered the French by lulling them into a f- you know a false battle, sending in most of their cavalry, and then King Henry and the rest of the troops on foot came in and just clattered them from the side. It's kind of like, you know reminiscent of all the underdog battles throughout history like Hannibal Carthage against Rome I'm getting off track that's something I'm interested in but not for this podcast but the Battle of Agincourt is shot really well and it's my favourite part of the movie it's it's on, it's so much like um the Battle of Winterfell in Game of Thrones now I know that Game of Thrones was based a lot of the characters and storyline not storylines specifically but some Things were based on the Hundred Years' War. So I've no doubt that if I looked hard enough, I could find that the Battle of Agincourt had an influence on a lot of the battles, especially in the latter seasons of Game of Thrones. But it's almost shot for shot, like Falstaff is in the middle of the fight. They're all in the mud, and he's clawing up, clawing for air. His helmet is off. He's one of the only ones without helmets. I think he's the only one without helmet. He gets up and he breathes up for air. It's almost shot for shot, exactly like Jon Snow getting out of um, the big melee, the big rook. But, um, you know, that was obviously, no, I wouldn't say derivative, but it's it's very similar. So you'd, you'd notice it if you saw both of them. But that's a very good scene. And then finally, so King Henry has fought with his soldiers on foot and he's gone in and he's, to be fair to him, I know it's a movie, but he comes in, he gives a good account of himself, especially for someone as... Timothy Shelby, who's built like um, a young corner forward on a junior B team. You know, he's he's definitely faster than the fat old fella, <coughs> me, who's on him. But, you know, he does cause a bit of wrecking there. And then the Dow fan comes in and is like, King Henry, me and you, we settle this right now. And then the Dow fan, who was not involved in the battle, wearing a sleek, shiny armor, starts slipping on the mud. And King Henry just gives a nod and like five or six guys come in and just start bashing him. And it's a very like, you know, okay, so King Henry is a man of the people. He was originally against the crown, but not anymore. It's a very pro-British film, actually. And for that reason and that reason alone, it gets a zero out of ten for me. Zero, I say. No, it's actually a very good film. Um, Probably take a few marks off for like... There's a lot of cursing in this... And that doesn't bother me because I've effed and blinded there for the last 28 minutes. But 
you know, there was obviously cursing going on at the time, but it kind of it didn't sit right in the movie because they'd be talking all Shakespearean one minute, flowing language, really like, you know, oh, it just sounds great. And then out of no- nowhere, it just comes a fuck just randomly. Like, oh, what light through yonder fucking window breaks? Like, oh, Jesus, Henry, would you calm down, man? But yeah, I'd give it a, it lose a few marks and probably for, you know, I'm not going to lo- take any marks off for diversity because this is a movie set in, uh, I think it's 13, late 1300s, 13 or 14, 15, I think was the Battle of Azagor, I can't remember, but it's set in the late 1300s, early 1400s. You know, there wasn't a lot of diversity at that time anyways. So I'd give it a seven, a seven or an eight out of 10. Um, enjoyable. Two hours, so it might be a bit longer than you'd care to watch. You'd care to watch or listen, but I, you know, give it a shot. Tim- Timothy Chalamet is good. Robert Pattinson's in there for the ladies. Why not, guys? Why not? So I was going to talk about uh, normal people episodes three and four this week, but I actually decided, you know what, I'll leave it off until next week when the last two episodes are out, because I like the length that the podcast is at right now. And also, I don't want to not give this show the time it deserves. It might, you know, it probably deserves a full, a half an episode or something like, you know. So we'll talk more about it. The only thing I want to say about this week's uh, double bill that pissed me off was that there's a scene where they're in the town and they're, I think Connell is, you know, Connell is being himself and not talking much and the rest of them are chatting away and they're all sitting inside in the main town in the main square on some benches in plain view of everyone they're all in their school uniforms and they're all smoking away not a bother on them in in small town Ireland not a fucking hope if that was happening in any other small town be the lads behind the shop in doorways huddled together so no one would see them and Connell, who's the star of the football team, smoking in plain view. That fella needs his head checked. And they need to think about that for continuity, okay? Because there's people like me who will ring Liveline and complain about that because I have nothing better going on in my life, okay? So that was Normal People episodes three and four. But no, we'll talk more about it next week properly. Um, and we'll talk more. I want to thanks again, everyone, for liking, sharing, subscribing. There'll be more uh, reviews and stuff this week, and the logo is out now, as I said, and I am deadly serious. Anybody who can play the French horn or any of the horn family instruments, please get on to me. I really want to make this jingle happen. All right, goodbye, guys. Thanks very much.